Welcome to the unofficial House of Wind book club, ran by two best friends and self-declared members of the Night Court. Today we are discussing chapters 5 and 6 of A Court of Mist and Fury. I know you can hear me from the dark. I know you're listening from afar. I thought that no one could fix me. I feel like I should be singing happy birthday right now because I just celebrated my husband's birthday. Okay, we can. Happy birthday to you. To you. I don't <laughs> sing very well. But podcast friends, can you send us a message on Instagram and wish my lovely husband a happy birthday? That would be great. Do it. Can I tell you all about his birthday and Christmas Eve? You should. I'm very excited because we've lived here for about a year and a half. So this is our second Christmas here in Italy. The first Christmas, I was really sick. I weighed like 400 pounds and had type 2 diabetes and wasn't doing too hot. And now uh, none of that is true and I'm doing great. So I, on Christmas Eve day, baked like typical Midwest American cookies for my Italian neighbors. In the Midwest, that's pretty normal. Wouldn't you say, Libby, like you give your neighbors Christmas cookies? Yeah. My grandma gave it to us like every year. We'd look forward to grandma's cookie plate, right? Coworkers would do it. It's just a thing that people do there. Right. So in my head, it's like Christmas tradition. So I thought, you know what? Italians have Italian pastries and Italian cookies, that biscotti, that are delicious, but they're not Midwestern delicious. <laughs> hate to tell you. So I made them like the peanut butter blossoms, the peanut butter cookies with a little kiss in the middle. Yeah. Because what's more Midwestern than that? And then I made them homemade triple chocolate chip cookies. If there's anything in the world that I can bake, it is my triple chocolate chip cookies. They're delicious. They got like a dozen of each. And then I put some peppermint nougat with the Christmas tree in the middle. Again, very typical America. So I put that on there, wrapped up like six plates for my neighbors, right? Very, very cute. I didn't expect anything in return because I just wanted to spread Christmas cheer because why wouldn't you? So I go and give it to my first neighbor, their home, and they're very nice and say, oh, thank you. I go down to a couple other neighbors and down the street, one of them isn't home. The next guy was so confused. I think he thought I was trying to sell him things. <laughs> Sir, I'm your neighbor. Like, no. And so- Was he like, no, no, thank you. Don't want any. Yeah, he was like, no, no bene. And I was like, oh, you don't get it. I went one step further. I wrote in Italian on this little sheet, hi, in my home, it is normal to give Christmas cookies for Christmas Eve. So as your neighbor, I just wanted to say Merry Christmas. Okay. And then it said da, which is from your American neighbors. Okay. I listed what kind of cookies there were in case anybody had- Allergies, yeah. A peanut allergy, which is not very common here, by the way. There's a lot of people that have, are celiac. Celiac disease? Yeah, okay. But there's not a lot of people with peanut allergies, but they also don't serve a lot of peanuts here. So I just want to be double safe. So I deliver these cookies, but the last two are specifically the ones I'm very excited about. Across the road from me, there's always this young Italian boy who, whenever I'm outside with my dogs, my girls, he'll wave and he'll say hi in English, which is Aww. like very sweet. And so I will always go back, hi, hello. And he's always been very, very nice, right? New Year's Eve last year, he said, happy new year. Oh, come on. And it was very sweet, right? It's one of my favorite memories. Adorable. Well, because you know, he went out of his way to learn that just to tell that to you. Yes. Well, I learned he does not speak English. He actually had to learn those words, which is so cute. So I ring their doorbell and I kind of feel awkward because it's 530 on Christmas Eve. It took a long time to make these cookies. Okay. And <laughs> the dad comes down and he goes, oh, come, 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 after Aww. reading my note and invites me into his home. He poured me a glass of wine oh. and asked me if I wanted Bianca or Rosa, which is red or white. And we had him, his wife, and me, and his son was also there. We're sitting there and I enjoyed a glass of wine. I was there for at least a half an hour. Nobody spoke each other's language. Um, so we were using Google Translate the whole time. Oh my gosh. They were so welcoming. It's kind of hard. I've talked about it before living over here. You kind of feel like very much an outsider. So to be welcomed in somebody's home on Christmas Eve and be like given a glass of wine and like part of the family kind of, it was so nice. Not only that, I did not leave empty handed, Libby. What? 
I gave him the cookies, which by the way, they ate like all the cookies Aww. while I was sitting there. They loved them. He gave me a like very expensive bottle of red wine. Good Lord. Like I Googled it when I got home. It was a Spanish bottle of wine. I was so happy, right? Because I didn't do this to like get anything. So fancy bottle of wine. Then I had mentioned to them that the neighbors behind us, I made them cookies, but I was a little scared to go give it to them because they've never waved or smiled at me once. So I, I you know, just a little nervous. And they said, we are the people of Northern Italy. We are not known for being warm. Okay. Well, you know what? I appreciate the honesty. Until you get to know us. I'm sure they do not hate you because I was like, I think they hate me. I'm sure they do not yet hate you. Please go give them the cookies. So I left and I went and delivered the cookies. And the dad came out at the, of that home and was very confused and didn't speak any English. And so I gave him the note again, written in Italian, and his face lit up and he was so happy. So I go back to my house, right? Doorbell rings. The first neighbor that I brought cookies brought me another bottle of wine ah. with a note that told me what food to eat with the wine. Yeah. And was like, molto bene vino, very good wine. And I was like, oh, so I was very excited about that. And then ding, 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 the doorbell goes again. And it's who I thought were mean neighbors from behind me. Libby, she wrote me a Christmas card. She drew a little Christmas tree in English and put Merry Christmas. You were very nice. Thank you so much for the cookies. They were delicious. All in English. English. She spoke no English. Oh my gosh. So cute. And she brought me two bottles of wine and a mini panettone. Merry lit, Miss Abby. Oh my gosh. I know. I got four bottles of wine. Welcome to Italy. Good Lord. Welcome to Italy. They don't give cookies. They give bottles of wine. I'm here for it. I'm ready for that tradition. America, let's get that going. I want that to be the new standard. I can ship you a bottle of wine from here. Why haven't we like considered this before? They do it all the time. Hmm. I will send you some wine. All right. I'm going to send you very strong wine that is dessert wine because I know you like sweet things. I do. And it's called Pasito mm. and it is wine liqueur mix. It's made from dried grapes. Okay. And I'm going to send it from Morivini. Okay. Which is a winery close to my house in the Prosecco Hills. Yeah. Which is the region of Italy, the only place that you can make Prosecco, which is 40 minutes from my house. So I got you covered, girl. They also gave me panettone, which is a traditional Christmas dessert. It's like a little cake. Mm -hmm. So I got a mini panettone and I got two bottles of wine from them, a very expensive Spanish bottle of wine, and then a bottle of wine. It was champagne, actually. Gosh. It was probably Prosecco because we're Northern Italy. Right. It, it was just great. We do Christmas dinner differently than most people mm -hmm. ever since moving here because we can't visit family. So we have nachos on Christmas Eve. Yes. And margaritas because why wouldn't you? Mm -hmm. A nice start to 2024. Lots of wine and lots of cheese. It's a good start to the year. What about you? Yours is much more uplifting and bright and like cute. In my prompt, I've been obsessed with this TikTok creator. She's not our star of the week. If she, for whatever reason, were to ever find out that we mentioned her and was flattered and happy about it. Hey girl, like I love your stuff. Her TikTok is Tanya Totanes Martinez. And she's been making these TikToks about like different scenarios. Ask your man this. And if he answers this, or if he doesn't say this, I think you should start a fight. I love these TikToks. They're freaking hilarious. I love them. Isn't it like if your husband doesn't do XYZ, you should fight him? Yeah. So there was a recent one where it's like, ask your man when he, what year he met his ex. And if he doesn't say like, I don't know, I think you should start a fight. Yes, 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 yes. Ask your man what the best part of his year was. And if it wasn't like spending time with you, you should start a fight. Right. Well, I always ask random shit to my husband as it is. So like he has not been curious whenever I just randomly pop up with one of these just to get his answer. Every single time he answers correctly. And so I haven't been able to start a fight. And so I'm just like, oh, but I'm also like, damn it, I want to start a fight. Give me something. And <laughs> No, your husband is great and that's not going to happen. And I've asked him, do you see her TikToks? He's like, what are you talking about? He has no clue. Hasn't seen any of them. So it's not like he's just prepared with the answer. <laughs> and I've showed him to him and he's like, huh. And I'm like, you just keep getting them right. And he's like, damn right I am. And I'm like, you know what? Of course he is because Skylar is every woman's dream. We've talked about this. He was written by a woman. He is literally perfection. I joked with him the other day about how I needed to run to Walmart for something and we have a joint account and he's like yeah you got paid and he moved the money
money around, which God bless him. I hate doing that. So like he moved the money for me and I was like, oh, well, if we got paid, like I'm going to Target instead. Jokingly, he's like, you should. I'll get our kid ready for bed. You just go enjoy your time. Are you kidding me? And I'm like, I'm not, no, I'm not going out to Target. He's like, well, why not? And I was like, oh, I'm not doing that. He's like, well, why don't you just go run to Barnes and Noble? Like this book that you've been looking for just came out. Just go do that. Like, you're fine. Like, wh- why Why wouldn't you go do this? And he was just so baffled and was not understanding why I wasn't going and that I was joking and that I wasn't actually needing to go all the way to Target. And he was just like, but why aren't you like I don't get that and I'm like stop I'm like damn it like yeah I was trying to be funny about like I, we got paid so I'll go to Target instead of Walmart and you just made it really sweet so then I did I was like okay yeah you know what I do I do gotta run to the store for juice boxes for our kids lunch because our kid is bougie and didn't want lunch from school of course not she's not bougie she is correct <laughs> so I had to go pick her up some juice boxes and then as I was going I was like you know do you care if I actually go see if they have the book I'm looking for he was like go like why are you I told you to go just go you don't have to tell me just do your thing and so I do and I run to Barnes and Noble and they didn't have my book but they are shipping it to me I was like oh they don't have it and he was like dang it like what about like anything else so I get some other books I was like no like I'm good I'm good stop it the moral of the story is I can't start a fight with my man because my man is literally just absolutely everything that's right the best yeah everything that's right with the world He's the most supportive, encouraging person. And that's just how Skylar's always been. So as much as I want to be part of this funny TikTok trend of start a fight with your man, I just have to enjoy from the outside. I can't because he's you can't literally wonderful. Oh, no, your husband's just too perfect. <laughs> My freaking husband who does all the laundry for us and who keeps doing the dishes before I can get to them. Ugh. We've talked about how lovely my husband is, but I just need you to have Skylar come over <laughs> and teach James or like send a message how to run a house, like how to keep the house running. This man stepped out of a dream, Abigail. That's the only thing that he doesn't do. He's wonderful in every other sense of the word, but the house running part, he also has ADD and that is a huge part of why. But yeah, no, the best husband award goes to Skylar closely followed by James. So even if you cannot join in on the TikTok start a fight with your man, at least go enjoy them because they have been the highlight of my week. I binge those TikToks. I think they are hilarious. I think now I'm gonna have to ask James and see if he gets any of them right. You gotta send me your favorites. So our question of the week, do you tend to trust people easily? I used to. Okay. I used to be like over trusting. Fair. I would be the girl, like, if you came to a party, we'd be sitting in the corner talking about our trauma. And I'd share everything or anything to be included, you know? Right. Now, I've learned that not everybody deserves to know everything about you. And not everybody deserves to be trusted. So the answer now, no. Not even a little bit. What about you? I don't think I've ever trusted people easily. I think ever since I've been born, I just came into this world being sus of everyone. You're like, no. Like, mm, no. I have a pretty good read on people, which doesn't always do me any favors because there's a lot of times where right away my red flags are up, but other people's red flags are not up. And I just have to quietly wait until other people get to see what I saw pretty early on. Okay, so you do the same thing I do. Where like, you can read a room real quick or read a person. And if the vibes are even slightly off, you're like, mm, no. Mm-mm-mm. Oh yeah, girl. I feel you on that one. This podcast episode contains discussions and commentary on the series A Court of Thorns and Roses by Sarah J. Mass. We believe that our use of copyrighted material falls under the doctrine of fair use, as we are providing transformative commentary, analysis, and discussion for educational and entertainment purposes. We respect the rights of the copyright owner, and our use is in accordance with the principles of fair use under copyright law. Listeners are encouraged to obtain their own copy of the works by Sarah J. Mass to fully enjoy and appreciate the work in its entirety. Chapter 5. There he was, Resand. The High Lord of the Night Court had made quite the show of embarrassing Tamlin, which wasn't surprising since he loved to do so. His violet eyes were shimmering in the gold fey light, and he held a hand up in response to Tamlin, Lucian, and the armed sentries carefully plotting how to take Resand down. 
They all froze at this hand, held up by Rhysand, though. Ianthe paled and began to sneak away from the rising tension. Rhysand mockingly commented on the pretty little wedding being held. The crowd began to move back and make their exits. Tamlin growled for Rhysand to get the hell out. His claws tore out from his knuckles. Rhysand calmly said he didn't think so, since he would be calling in his bargain with Feyre, darling. Feyre felt sick and internally protested. Not now. Reese reminded them all, crowd included, that they knew what would happen if they tried to break the bargain. Reese now spoke to Feyre, mockingly disappointed that he had given her three months of freedom and she didn't even seem pleased to see him. Ianthe was long gone and Tamlin pushed forward as Reese prepared to leave with Feyre. Reese teased that he couldn't be interrupting since the event appeared over, adding that Feyre seemed to think so too. Feyre watched as Reese gave a taunting smirk. He knew Feyre was going to say no. He had the bond giving him access to her screaming thoughts of refusal. Tamlin asked Reese to at least let them finish the ceremony, but Ianthe had long since fled. Tamlin retracted his claws and began to try and reason with Reese, but Reese cut him off, stating that he was in no mood to bargain, even though he could easily take advantage of the situation. Tamlin again offered for Reese to name his price, but Reese told him not to bother as he hooked onto Feyre's elbow. Feyre began to panic over what awaited her in the night court. What horrors would she see that had been Amarantha's inspiration? Feyre begged Tamlin for help, but Reese pulled her closer, teasing the silliness of the drama of it all. Tamlin warned Reese that if he hurt her, but Reese-Anne slowly enunciated, I know, I know, and assured him that Feyre would be back in a week. Lucian's mouth hung wide as he stared at Tamlin with a mixture of rage and dismay. Reese let go of Feyre's elbow and wrapped a hand around her waist. Reese whispered into her ear to hold on. Winds ripped in every direction around Feyre and darkness consumed everything as the world that once was there was now gone. There was only Feyre, only Reese. Feyre clung to Reese and felt only hatred for the male. The darkness dissipated and Feyre first only smelled jasmine, but then she saw stars flickering and glowing too many to count just past moonstone pillars which framed the view of snow-covered mountains in the near distance. All that was said was from Reese. Welcome to the night court. Feyre knew immediately that it was the most beautiful place she had ever seen. There had to be magic at work because despite the freezing surroundings, the house they were in was warmed. The house lay atop mountains, so the altitude alone would have been piercing. The room was completely open to the surrounding world. No windows or walls, just pillars and curtains flowing with the winter breeze. There were areas to sit amongst company, areas to dine and work, all spread through the open hall. Glass-colored lanterns hung above in the arches of the ceiling. There was no tortured screaming. There were no pleas for help. The rest of the night court must be elsewhere, which made Favor think that that was why she couldn't hear distressed voices crying out. Reese mentioned informally that they were in his private residence. Favor noticed he appeared darker now, more golden compared to his paleness under the mountain. Favor noticed his wings were not in sight. There he was, a male, smirking before her. Then it hit and filled her as she bellowed out, How dare you! Reese chuckled out that he had missed the look on her face she was currently making. Oh, and she was welcome. Feyre stunned, asked for what? Reese casually responded, for saving her when she had asked. Feyre locked up. She had not asked for a thing. Reese ripped the glove from her hand and told her that he had heard Feyre begging anyone to get her out. He had heard her say no. Feyre insisted that she hadn't said anything though. Reese tapped the eye in her palm twice, reminding her that he could hear her loud and clear. Feyre demanded to be returned back. Reese-Anne shrugged her off. She could now blame him for the failure of the wedding instead of facing Tamlin with the reality of her almost rejecting him. Feyre wanted to know what Reese-Anne wanted from her. He seemed annoyed by the question. He wanted her gratitude for helping her. He wanted the horrendous dress gone. He made no effort to hide his disgust when telling her she looked like some weak damsel that Tamlin and Ianthe was hoping she'd play the role of. Feyre spat back that Reese didn't know anything about her. Reese teased back, asking, does Tamlin? Did Tamlin bother to ask why she vomited night after night? Did Tamlin know why she avoided rooms or colors? Feyre demanded that Reese get out of her head. Reese told her to do the same. He didn't want to be woken every night to watch her puke again and again, but she sent every little thing down that bond. Feyre called him a prick, and Reese simply laughed. Reese wanted more from Feyre, but he would wait to tell her in the morning what that was. He dismissed her to get cleaned up and rest. His eyes momentarily filled with rage as he eyed the dress she was still wearing. Reese gave her directions to her room, and Feyre seemed almost surprised that she wasn't being sent to a dungeon. 
Reese assured her that she was not a prisoner. She made a bargain and he was collecting on it. She was a guest in his home with all of the access and privileges of a member of the household. No one would touch or harm her or even think ill of her there. Feyre asked where his subjects were and he told her. Some lived there and others in the mountain below them. They were forbidden to enter his home though. It would be a death sentence to do so. Yes, Amarantha had copied poorly the mountain below, but it was self-governing and Pharaoh would not be taken to it. Rhysand kept his home and his occupation, as you mortals call it, he said, separate. Pharaoh repeated him, questioning, you mortals? Reese asked if he should consider her as something else. Favor ignored this and asked where any other members of his court resided. They were scattered and living all throughout the land as they wished. There was much land to choose from in the vast territory of the night court. Rhysand told Pharaoh she was free to roam where she wanted. Pharaoh immediately stated that she wanted to roam home. Rhysand laughed at this as he walked off. He spoke back to her that he would be willing to accept her thanks at any time, still leaving while saying this. Pharaoh felt enraged and in a heartbeat she had her shoe in hand and she launched it with all the force she had. All the immortal force she now had. The shoe was barely visible as it flew so fast at the High Lord that even he couldn't see it coming. The shoe slammed into Reese's head and he whirled at her, raising a hand to the back of his head, eyes fully open. The other shoe was in Feyre's hand and Reese's temper shone through as he simply said, I dare you. And Feyre did. She threw the other shoe and Reese caught it mere inches from his face. The shoe dissolved into dust in his hand and the sparkling dust blew into the skies. Reese eyed Feyre before muttering, interesting, and truly leaving her this time. Feyre debated attacking him, but instead headed to her room as previously directed. Before reaching her room, she could hear far away a female bright playful voice saying, so that went well. And Reese snarled in response. Feyre felt her room to be unreal, simply amazing. The windows were open with no glass or shutters, just curtains. There was a large bed absolutely covered in luxurious blankets and pillows. Matching lamps stood on either side of the bed. Against a nearby wall stood an armoire and a dressing table. The room had a connecting chamber with a sink and a toilet, and beyond that was an arched wooden door that led to the bath. And oh my, that bath. That bathtub was basically a pool hanging off the side of the mountain. The edge seemed to completely disappear. Candles were lined against the edge against the wall. Their glow illuminated the surface of the water and the steam coming from the pool. Feyre fought the thought of what Reese's room must look like if this was one for a guest. Guest, not prisoner, not captive. Favor made no attempt to set traps or to barricade the door. She knew that Reese could get in without a thought. She'd watched him shattered minds without batting an eye. Favor looked at herself and felt ridiculous. She removed the pins from her hair and rubbed her aching scalp. She had hoped Tamlin would kiss her for each pin he'd remove from her hair on this night. How would Tamlin feel? react when she returned. Had Ianthe also seen her refusal? Vera hoped that she could wait for the mating bond to snap into place so she could be sure that she wasn't making a mistake. She wanted to know that she was good enough, deserving enough of Tamlin. Maybe they could wait until Tamlin was able to face his own demons and relax his need to control everything, need to control her. Feyre thought they should probably start talking once she returned home. Ugh, so many people had seen her hesitation. Favor unbuttoned the gown and let it fall to the ground. Even her underthings were atrocious. Scraps of lace intended for Tamlin's eyes. Then for Tamlin to shred to ribbons. Favor shoved the gown into the armoire and chucked the underthings in as well. Favor realized that she was now sobbing and grabbed the first piece of fabric inside the dresser. A turquoise set of nightclothes, shirt, and pants. Favor blew out the lamps beside the bed and a allowed herself to fully sob into the darkness, into the snowy, starry night. The twin handmaidens from under the mountain appeared the next morning, now fully tangible, Nuala and Caridwen. Feyre forgot for a moment where she was when she woke, but the realization flooded in along with an overwhelming headache. Feyre was instructed to bathe and dress and to join for breakfast in 30 minutes. She slipped into the tub and felt the tug in her gut, the summoning to come to him. Feyre bathed and dressed and resentfully followed the tug. Feyre hated the clothes she wore, only because they came from the night court. But oh my cauldrons, were they comfortable. Feminine, attractive, she loved them. She could easily move and run in these 
But still, they belonged to him. Favor joined Reese at the breakfast table, declaring that she was not a dog to be summoned. Reese slowly looked to her, explaining that he didn't want her to get lost. Favor mentioned how she was surprised to find that it wasn't always dark here. Reese explained that the night court was one of three solar courts. The solar courts still followed the laws of nature, but the seasonal courts could remain in eternal spring, winter, autumn, or summer. The nights in this court, though, were unmatched to any other. Some in the territory even chose to sleep during the day just to live among their night sky. Reese eventually quietly commented on Farah having lost weight. Farah retorted that he seemed to dig in her head whenever he wanted, so he shouldn't be surprised. Reese defended that he only occasionally did that. Their bond was like a bridge, and as a human, her shields were wide open for him to walk right into. Now as Faye, she sometimes unintentionally had her shields up, and other times, she might as well be standing on the bridge, shouting her thoughts to him. He only rifled through her head when he was unsure if her nightmares were real or not or when she was about to be married off and silently begging for help and yes even with her shields up he could still get in if he wanted to she could train though he could teach her to protect herself Farah ignored this offer Favre asked and said what it was reese wanted from her reese wanted her to learn to read chapter six Favor remembered the last time that the high lord had brought that up to her under the mountain where he asked if learning how to read would be her own personal hell. Feyre outright refused. Rhysian tried to reason with her, saying that as a high lord's wife, she would need those useful skills to do all the very important things that would be delegated to her in her new life, like making menus for their dinner parties, writing thank you letters for her wedding gifts, maybe even embroidering sweet phrases onto pillowcases. Not only was reading and writing a necessary skill, but Rhysian threw in that she would also learn how to shield as well. Feyre agreed that they were both necessary skills, but she didn't want him to be the one to teach her. He asked, what else are you going to do with yourself? Paint? How's that going these days, Feyre? Feyre asked why it was of any relevance to him, and Rhysian simply replied that it served a purpose of his, and for her to find out what the purpose was, Feyre would have to agree to work with him. Suddenly, the fork in Feyre's hand was mingled. A laugh came from the High Lord as he murmured, Interesting. That was the second time he'd said that in less than a day, so Feyre noted it. He asked if anyone had ever told her that she was strong for a high fae. That hadn't occurred to her, ever. He wondered aloud if Feyre had ever tested herself against anyone, but Feyre thought she was enough of a wreck how she was, so why would she have bothered? Because you were resurrected and reborn by the combined powers of the seven high lords. If I were you, I'd be curious if anything else transferred to me during that process. Feyre's veins turned to ice, but she denied that anything had transferred to her. She also denied that she'd ever learned to read or write from him. He asked why, and if it was just out of spite. He had thought that after everything that happened under the mountain, they'd gotten past the whole hatred thing. Don't get me started on what you did to me under the mountain, she said coldly. In an instant, Reese's eyes went deathly cold, and his body ceased movement. The moment passed, and his breathing returned, albeit rapidly. His mouth opened to speak, but no words left it. As quickly as the moment came, the lazy smile returned to his face like a flip of a switch. He noted that they had company and would discuss it later. Feyre reiterated that they would not be talking about anything later, but heard the footsteps approaching. Before her stood the most beautiful woman she'd ever seen. Blonde hair braided casually back, her outfit a matching set of turquoise and chocolate brown eyes. The woman greeted Feyre, and Reese introduced the two to each other. Feyre, meet my cousin, Morgan. More, meet the lovely, charming, and open-minded Feyre. Feyre wanted to throw her cup of tea right into his smug face, but instead focused on the woman walking towards her. Feyre stuck out her hand, but more instead wrapped her in a bear hug. More pulled back to smile at Feyre, noted that it had looked like Feyre was getting under Rhysand's skin, so it was a good thing more had arrived. Feyre said it was nice to meet more, but more called her a liar, said she knew Feyre wanted nothing to do with them, and the mean, wicked Reese was making her stay there. Reese noted that more was especially perky today, but she only said that she was excited about having company for once. While Reese and more conversed, Feyre realized the teasing voice that said, well, that went well, last night had been Moore's. Feyre looked down to see a new fork had magically appeared on the table next to her plate. She picked it up and wondered out loud, you two look nothing alike. Reese explained that they were cousins by the loosest definition of the word, and they had been raised together. Moore was the only remaining relative Reese had. He continued saying that since Moore was his only remaining relative, she thought she was entitled to pop into his life whenever she wanted. Morgan only said that Reese was super grumpy this morning and piled two muffins onto her plate. Feyre mentioned to Moore that she hadn't seen her under the mountain. Moore began to say, I was in when Reese interrupted her. Enough more. His voice held such dominance it was hard for Feyre to not straighten at the command. Reese simply said that Moore would be staying at the house for the remainder of the week, 
but that Vera didn't have to feel obligated to spend time with her. More stuck at her tongue at that, but he only rolled his eyes in response. If he pisses you off, Vera, feel free to shove him over the rail of the nearest balcony. Vera laughed as Reese flipped off more. He led Vera off to her first lesson. Vera still didn't want to be there. But Reese is right. She almost died because she was literate, and goddamn, she would not let that happen again. And shielding. She'd be stupid not to accept his offer on that. He was right, but it didn't make sitting there at the long wooden table in front of her easy. Favor told Reese that she wasn't stupid enough to not know her alphabet, but Reese just reiterated that he had never called her stupid. He was honestly trying to figure out where they would need to start on her training, since Favor refused to tell him anything. Favor asked if he could hire a tutor instead. Reese asked if it was that hard to try in front of him. Favor only retorted with this question. Since he's a high lord, shouldn't he have more important things to do? Reese agreed he did, but nothing was as enjoyable as watching Feyre squirm. She called him a bastard, but he only laughed and said he'd been called much worse than that, even by her. He pointed to the paper in front of him and asked her to try to read it. She couldn't and told him so. He commanded her to try. She tried to distract him with a change of subject by asking what stake he had in teaching her how to read, reminding him that he did say he would tell her if she agreed to work with him. But I didn't specify when I'd tell you, he said. Maybe I resent the idea of you letting those psychopaths and warmongering fools in the spring court make you feel inadequate. Maybe I indeed enjoy seeing you squirm, or maybe... He tried to continue, but Favor cut him off. She understood. He pointed to the paper again and urged her to try. You look. He praised her, but she responded by saying she had never asked for his approval. Reese laughed again. Ab- absolutely. D-del- Favor looked up at Reese. Delicious, he said. She looked back down at the paper to read the two final words before glaring at him. Had he seriously just written, you look absolutely delicious today, Feyre? His mouth never moved, but inside her mind she heard, it's true, isn't it? She demanded he stop and get the hell out of her head, but he continued by saying that the fashion of the night court suited her well, that this was the consequence of leaving her shields down. Anyone who had his type of power could easily crawl into her mind and take whatever they wanted. They could even shatter her mind and she would cease to exist. He explained that she should be very, very afraid. He gave the command to shove him out of her mind. She tried and failed. It felt like his claws were everywhere in her mind. Shove me out. She began to panic, and then she heard a soft chuckle fill her mind as he directed her towards where to go. She saw a path light up in her mind and followed it. She struggled, but eventually made an attack to push him out of her mind. She could tell that he let her win, but the claws were gone. She was now exhausted, but the lesson wasn't over. He urged her to shield again to block him so he couldn't get back in. It took all of her strength, but she put up a mental wall to block his claws. She then grabbed the paper in front of her and tore it into pieces before calling Resand a pig. He only complimented her on both reading an entire sentence and shielding him out. Feyre wondered out loud if it was even possible to fully shield out Reese. He said he doubted it, but they'd see what would happen. He told her by the time Ninsar, a beloved Fey holiday that was previously banned by Amarantha, came around, she could be reading novels. Feyre snapped back and asked if she would still be bound to him by the time Ninsar arrived. He didn't answer. She continued saying that after everything that had happened, they could agree that they owed each other nothing. She asked, wasn't it enough that they were all free? She had begun to think towards the end that Rhysand was different, but here he was, taking her away and keeping her against her will. I'm not your enemy, Feyre, but Tamlin and everybody else thought he was, so she told him. He asked what she thought, and Feyre answered saying that he was doing a damn good job of making her agree with them. He called her a liar and asked if she had ever even told her friends what he did to her under the mountain. She said she was done with this conversation, and he mentioned that it must have been because it was so much easier to pretend that it never happened and instead let her friends and Tamlin coddle her instead of talking about it. She tried to fight, saying she didn't let them coddle her, but he interrupted by exclaiming that they had wrapped her up like a present yesterday, like a reward for Tamlin. Feyre demanded to be taken home questioned that home, where she'd be confined for the rest of her life, especially once she started having kids. Copy the alphabet until her letters were perfect, and after every round, raise her shields until it was second nature were the commands he left her with as he vanished into darkness. When he returned, Pharaoh was beyond exhausted. She'd spent the entire time following his command. He looked at her sheets of paper and said, not bad. 
He seemed more than pleased when her shield held to his probing. Hopefully, I'll be getting good night's sleep at last. If you can manage to keep the walls up while you sleep, he joked. She sent an expletive down their bond after quickly dropping the shield. She followed him throughout the halls of the building. She was too tired to ask where they were going, but they ended up in a large circular room at the top of a tower. The middle of the room held a round stone table, while part of the wall showed a larger map of their world. On the table lay another map this one just of Printhian and Hybern. The wall between the lands was a stark line on the map. He asked her what she saw, and Favre answered, a world divided in two. He asked if she thought it should stay that way, but the only words that came out was her family. Her human family would be deeply impacted if the wall came down, wouldn't it? Her family was just so close to the wall's border that they were lucky they'd flee across the ocean before it fell. Favre asked him if it would fall, and he answered maybe. She asked why. Because war is coming, Feyre. Why do I always have to end on cliffhangers of just recent saying words? That's two chapters in a row. Abby, Abby, let's be real. Would it be SJM Bestie's book if it didn't end on a cliffhanger? No, because she's a crazy lady. I have thoughts and feelings about our chapters. This was quite the beast of a chapter for me to tackle. You had a lot. It was a bit. I remember messaging you being like, hey... How you doing? You good? You all right? Okay, that's a lot. We had to push the recording for this episode because of how long these were. It's like, what, 17 pages? Yeah, it was a lot. There was many, many things. I normally have this stuff done pretty quickly, pretty easily. And we had to move this recording session because there was so much that I just could not catch up and keep everything together for this one. It was too much. I remember telling you, I'm not going to sleep tonight. And you were like, we will push this back. I was like, that's just stupid. This is a podcast. We do not get paid. We love it. But you're not losing sleep over it. <laughs> However, there was so much that we all know I read from my nook. I had to use my nook highlighters. So my pages are highlighted for this chapter. Hey. It was so many thoughts. There was so much that I was like, I'm not going to remember every little thing I want to say. So I had to highlight and make notes. I love how we tell our listeners to please buy their own book copy <laughs> you're like no no physical book for me proud of you i can't do that no see i love the nook i don't have space in this house to put all those books anyway don't get me wrong i want the hard copy versions i don't have any hard copy sjms other than two collector's editions i read on the kindle every single day i love my kindle more than words it is the most used christmas present i've ever had in my entire life i adore my kindle when it comes to talking to you about this podcast i have to be able to physically see it in the book or uh, my adhd brain will remember absolutely nothing so it helps me like to physically see it and physically highlight it so i am so proud of you for getting through this massive chapter because it was a lot but what are your thoughts and feelings on your chapter specifically i have a note in here from when Feyre is asking reese when they had just gotten to the night court and she had asked him like what do you want from me and in here i noted the last time Feyre had asked this she had been asking it to tamlin <sighs> It was her true self. Like, what do you want from me? This feels like a glimpse at Feyre finding her true self. She is finally asking this question again. What do you want from me? And it's to Reese. It feels like a beginning because the last time she asked this, like I said, it was to Tamlin and it was the beginning. And so this feels like a beginning, a new chance for her to find herself again. And his response too. His response was perfect. It's like, I just want you to say thank you. Take that nasty ass dress off. I mean, not like that. I'm saying that, but still. You know, like the cupcake dresses, like the cupcake wedding dresses? Yes. That's what I envisioned she had, like the most god-awful 80s <laughs> disgusting disgusting dress listeners can you please send me what you think that Farah's dress looked like so if we're on the same pages here please to our instagram or to our email to me i picture an adult version of a toddler's and tiara's dress yes so it reminds me of like the english traveler dresses very extravagant and that's what i'm feeling that Farah is having to deal with if that's what you're into you work it you wear what you want to wear i will silently judge you but never tell you to your face I will support you if you're happy in it, work it. Farah is not happy in it, so I'm there for her too. So he says like, first of all, I want you to thank me. Secondly, take off that dress. Then Resand has it like, fuck you smile kind of going on his face. Yeah. And he says, you look exactly like the doe-eyed damsel he and that simpering priestess wants you to be. And Farah bites back and is like, you know nothing about me. This is the real question. You ready? Does Tamlin 
Does he ever ask you why you hurl your guts up every night or why you can't go into certain rooms or see certain colors? Thank you. Someone is saying what we're all thinking. Thank you, Reese, for finally putting it out there. This man knows more about Farah and has said more about Farah in literally two sentences than the entirety of the last book and a half that Tam knows about Farah. I love that he immediately calls out Tamlin and Ianthe saying that she looks exactly how they want her to be. Mm-hmm. Th- uh, thank you, because we are over here feeling it, but someone has finally actually said it. It's not Lucian defending. It's not him telling her to be understanding. It's Reese saying, what is this? This isn't you. And she's like, you don't know. Me. He's like, really? Really? Does Tamlin? I mean, she freezes because of course that's the first ounce of truth being slapped in her face. And she just says, get the hell out of my head. And my favorite thing is he's like, I'm not in it. You don't understand. You are sending it down the bond. I feel it every single night. I can't sleep because I see the hell that you're going through. I don't think you even need to have the bond to be able to notice and and call these things out. No. If she is throwing up every night, I'd be like, are you pregnant? That would be my first thought because you obviously they're fucking. Yeah. Does he ask? No. Their relationship, the more we get into this book, Tamlin and Feyre's, is so superficial. It is insane. It is what I imagine dating a jock would be. But like, it's very surface level. To clarify what dating, what a stereotypical jock would be. Yes. Or like a stereotypical business major in college, you know, frat boy, frat boy vibes from Tamlin. And within three sentences, Resand has taken down this fake smile and fake persona Feyre has put on and asked her a real question. It took 48 pages into the book, but we got there. And then he continues and like Feyre is like, I want to go home. I want to go home now. She's very obviously upset because girl's just in a wedding and now she's in this gross ass dress and she's in the night court. Right. <laughs> Feyre goes, oh, we're not going to a dungeon cell? And I was like, okay, she's still being funny. She's still got her humor. Reese goes, you're not a prisoner. See, I didn't read it that way. I think she was truly terrified because she even said like she was scared to see what horrors would await her. She was scared to see the things that inspired Amarantha. I think she truly thought she was going to get sent down to this dungeon. So the way I read it was that she was like, actually like, wait, no, this really isn't happening. Reese, I think he was surprised, but I wonder if he was also offended that she truly thought that was his intention for her, was to throw her into a dungeon and imprison her. I feel like she still said it in a snapback kind of bitchy way. Oh yeah, I think she was definitely sarcastic with him, like, oh really, not a dungeon? You know, I could totally hear that. Yeah. But I do think there was sincerity to it. Oh, there is. She even says, reveal that fear to suggest it to him. But when he goes, you're not a prisoner, he's like, you made a bargain and I'm calling it in. You'll be my guest with the privileges of a member of my household. None of my subjects are going to touch you, hurt you, or so much think ill of you here. And I love that he clarified that. That stood out to me so much, the think ill of you. And I don't think that that mattered as much to Feyre, but Rhysand, who under the mountain, we heard him get called a whore, Amarantha's whore, over and over. I think that was more for him, that no one's going to think ill of her because he was, he is that person that everyone thinks ill of. Nobody has a positive thought. Even Feyre is still treating him like he's not someone to be trusted, someone to keep at arm's length, is still pissy with him, and he still like needs her to know, hey, no one's going to think badly of you. This is a person who he clearly cares for in some way, and he wants her to know that she's not going to have to worry about that. And I think that that spoke more to the things he had gone through. I mean, it's just a little tidbit. I hope that we're going to find out more about how he dealt with everything. But at this point, for him to go so far as to say, no one's going to think ill of you, when we haven't really heard much of Feyre caring about what people think of her. It spoke more about Reese and his insecurities. I was about to say his own fears coming through. Yeah, his own issues. So that stood out to me. And then he like throws up a whole bunch of information. You know what I thought was really funny though? When he is throwing up all that information about like his court, where people are and like who can come in and out of his house. And he's saying he likes to keep his occupation separate. And yet... Uh, what was it two chapters ago Lucian said you can't have the High Lord and Tamlin those are two those can't be two separate things they're one and the same and Reese is like no no that that's mm -mm. not even close I keep that separate that's not me the fucking High Lord of the Night Court can do it 
his lands are much more vast and terrifying and larger and scarier and powerful. And he can separate the two, but you can't have one without the other for Tamlin and the gentle spring court. Make it make sense. No, no, you can't. You must always be just a jerk. And it's an occupation. It's not him. That's just who he is. Nope. No. Yeah, he says, beneath it is my occupation. I don't like for the two to overlap very often. Mm-hmm. I love that because it one, in real life, it is very easy yes. to bleed your work life into your home life, especially when both of us work from home. So that was like, mm, thanks for the reminder. I also like how he says, like, as you mortals call it, when in the spring court, Ianthe and everyone was like, no, you're one of us. You are not mortal. You never were. You are Fey. You are high Fey now. You're one of us. Reese is like, what do you want me to think of you as? Mortal, right? Like, what do you mean? He even asks, like, should I consider you something else? Anyway, she throws her fucking shoes at him. <laughs> She's so out of her element right now. She doesn't know what. She has no control. You know what she has control of? <laughs> Throwing her slippers at him. And I love it. Not even though she's like, oh shit, my immortal. I just threw that with my immortal strength. Oh fuck. <laughs> well, and you know what? Reese deserves it. He really did. Fair. Because he smartass says, I'm willing to accept your thanks at any time, you know. And then I love how he gets really pissed off. I am a brat with my husband like 90% of the time. <laughs> I love when he goes, I dare you. I'd hop on that in a second. I could see the rage. I could see him just seething with like, do it. Like, just fuck, I dare you. She's like, good, that makes two of us with a temper. (laughs) Much needed, my friend. That was probably my favorite part of the whole chapter. Then she, you know, goes into a beautiful room. I want to live there. I just want one night. One night there. I don't need to ever leave that room. Giant bath. Infinity bath. What more could you ask for? I don't want to go to Mexico. I don't want a tropical vacation. Candle lit, steam coming off of it infinity bath and a huge bed overlooking snow-capped mountains oh um and then i love how the two maids come back the the handmaids and we actually learn their names you can say their names because i can't pronounce them (laughs) nuala and caridwen there we go i said nuala and curdwen so we're doing great (laughs) it was kind of like friends coming back but she actually got to see them in person this time they were there to help her through a time that she had no say in and while that is again happening at least it's a little bit nicer of a place and they're back we got to see them again i don't know i got very excited for that except they're tangible this time which is nice and they're not painting her hoo-ha so that's great too i've never wanted my hoo-ha paint i have a gynecologist (laughs) appointment tomorrow you just said that and it was like now my fears are gonna bring out some crayola paint She's like, look, Abby, it's washable. It's all right. I know you like a quart of thorns and roses. I wanted to try out some vagina painting. (laughs) What do you think? No. We like to put them in the hallway for our patients to see the vag art. I want, just for once, I would love to see what a night court night would look like. Because the fact that he's like, people arrange their schedules, their lives, so that they can live under these stars like, good Lord, how magical is this night court at night? I would. I want to see it. Okay, you know what I kind of imagine, though? You can Google a place called Piancavallo. When you go to Piancavallo at night, you are so high up that I've never seen a more clear sky. And that in my head is what they're talking about. You know what it makes me think of? It makes me think of living under the Northern Lights, the Aurora Borealis. I bet it's something kind of like that. I would rather do that than live here. So can we go to the night court instead? Yeah. When can we go? I'm down right now. <laughs> Come on over. Bye. <laughs> Actually, do you know the, the place that a lot of people have referenced the night court is in Switzerland? Really? And it is six hours from my house by train sold so just come on over we learn a lot about the solar courts that adhere to the laws of nature which are the three solar courts the dawn day and night court and then we learn that the seasonal courts keep their weather because of their high lord which is also like super controlling i think and now i'm mad that tamlin's sex powers make it always spring <laughs> that just pisses me off you know what i find funny is that typically i think in in don't come at me. I'm not a professional. I don't know. I think it's like Greek mythology. Like spring is uh, normally associated with fertility and pregnancy. And Tamlin is so focused on all them little Tim Tim Tams that are going to be running around. When he brought that up, I was like, one, pregnancy trope. Gross. Mm-hmm. He's like, we about to be fruitful and multiply. And it's like, oh. 
I like how he kind of leaves off in my chapter saying, you know, I want to teach you to read. He wants to give her a piece of power, not necessarily magical, but like, you know, knowledge is power. He wants to give her freedom and, and give her that ability to do one more thing for herself that no one in the spring court seems all that motivated to do for her. So far, they've told her your role is you're going to sit next to Tamlin while Tamlin does all the things. And be pretty. You're going to sit there and be pretty, right? You are not expected to do anything other than plan parties, be cute, and sit by Tamlin while he does everything else. Oh, and have babies, obviously. Mm. That's it. <laughs> I mean, that's the only connection she has to him is sex, so. That's healthy. She's putting out at least something good. I just love that. He was like, for this week, I want you to learn how to read. And then that goes right into your chapter. I love how she hates that. Immediately, no thank you. And he's like, okay, let's put this into terms that will be motivating to you. You're going to be a High Lord's wife. You really don't think that you can't use this as a High Lord's wife? You didn't read that condescendingly? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Okay. I was like, that's one of my favorite things. I think that he thought the only way to really convince her to go along with this is to show it to her in a way that she's going to find appealing. Like, he's going to be disgusted by this. I didn't read it that way. I think he knew. I think he knew that as much as, like, he hated this and probably saying this, because, you know, he hates Tamlin. He doesn't love the idea of anyone having to do anything with Tamlin. I think the parts where he's like, you know, make menus, write thank you letters. I think that was him being more condescending than anything. But I do think when he's saying you're going to be a high lord's wife, you're going to be expected to be able to do certain correspondence. I think he's trying to appeal to her interest to get her on board with the plan. I read it as, and this might be completely wrong. I think the only way Favor is reacting in her state of fight or flight is through emotion, strong emotion. And honestly, the only emotion he's getting from her is anger. So if he can push her, towards at least having some sort of an emotional response. It'll get through her, get through her thick skull at this point and cause her to maybe actually listen. And so that's why I thought he brought up like the obviously stupid stuff because he knows Favor doesn't want to do that. I think he's absolutely making fun of her, but I think he's also appealing to his audience in this situation. Right after that, he becomes an absolute prick. So when he says, what else are you going to do with yourself? Paint? How's that going these days? Like that's why I'm getting the vibe of he's just trying to push her. Because why else would he say that? I don't know that he's just trying to push her. I think he's being honest with her. I think he's the only person that's being honest. Like, are you what you're going to paint? You're really going to paint when you and I both know that you won't even look at certain colors or go into certain rooms. I like how then he immediately changes the conversation because maybe that tactic didn't work. Oh, yeah. She doesn't want to talk about these things. She doesn't want to have to address any of that. But he's the only person that's actually saying, no, Feyre, let's address this. Let's talk about this. She's over here in her mind thinking maybe me and Tamla need to start talking when I get home. But she can't even bring these things up to a person she doesn't really care about she won't even talk about any of it to someone who it doesn't matter what his thoughts and opinions are at this point if she can't address that with someone who it doesn't affect her what their thoughts are on something how is she ever going to be expected to even address tamlin who she's supposed to spend eternity with i think he's the only person giving her the platform and she's shutting it down and he's actually saying no address this face this let's go let's make a change here i think he would have gone that way but more walked in. I think that's where the conversation was heading. I mean, he already started to approach it by saying, what are you going to do, paint? But I think he would have gone further with it had more not walked in. I love you. And we can agree to disagree on that one. That is part of the podcast is having different opinions. Hi, what do you feel about more? I think she brings a lot of not comedic relief, but relief to the conversation kind of brings it like a moment of like, okay, everyone take a breath. Let's let's focus on something lighter. She knows that too. She even says it looks like you were about to bite his head off. So I walked on in. Mm-hmm. Favorite could throw him off the balcony if she wanted to. She seems kind of like that mediator, that third party like, okay, let's uh, let's all take a breath and not kill each other with more shoes. Another um, sassy Rusan comment is meet the lovely, charming, and open-minded Feyre. I love that Feyre said, it, like in her mind is like, if Rhysan was the most beautiful male, she was the female equivalent. There it is again, Rhysan's the most beautiful male. We are not going to be made to forget that Rhysan is the shit. He is. He just is. He is the is. Oh my God, this is correlation. Directly after she just saw Tam who released his glamour. Oh yeah. Tam was his full high fake glory. 
Rhysand has not released any of the control. He's still got it all under lockdown. And she's like, man, he is still the most beautiful male. I mean, Moore was a huge, like after the tension that was going between them two, which you could literally cut with a knife. Mm-hmm. For Moore to come in and try to like ease the situation just a little bit. They very much feel like siblings. Yeah. And I could see one of my siblings coming in and trying to cut that tension if something was wrong, going towards a wrong place. Oh, the reading. Oh my gosh. Feyre looks delicious today. The blush I had. The red in my cheeks. I was like, oh my God, not prepared. I also love that Feyre wants absolutely nothing to do with him teaching her. It's a pride issue is what it boils down to. Being vulnerable in front of people and Feyre is obviously not good at that. And so she wants nothing to do with it. And when he gives her praise, which he's honestly just saying like, good job. She goes, I didn't ask for your approval. Like, damn, okay. That was quite a comeback, my friend. I liked when she had asked him, like, don't you have better things to do? Like, you're a high lord. Why Why are you entertaining this? And he's like, of course I do. Like, yeah, I have a shit ton of better things to do, but I love watching you squirm. Watching you squirm. I like this. Like, oh, that was, that was cute. <laughs> we liked that, Rhysand. We've seen him be vulnerable. We've seen him be smart assy but to see him be like goofy and flirty is kind of my favorite definitely flirty yeah heavily flirty and like not in the same way he was under the mountain like you said he seems more light and airy about it like he can truly just <sighs> take a breath and like he can just be playful with her in a cute way it feels more sincere that he's being flirty here he's not using his flirtiness to manipulate a situation or to see a plan play out like he's doing it because he generally just wants to flirt with her he wants to be playful and cute with her and i think that she's just kind of caught off guard i think that she's obviously pissed off and hates him at this point she's irritated with him but i think she's also in an unspoken way just not expecting him to be so cutesy with her i think in her mind everything he's doing is a ploy to piss off tamlin and she's probably surprised that that's not necessarily what this is when's the last time she was cutesy with tamlin when's the last time she flirted with tamlin when was the last time Tamlin was cutesy with her? <laughs> when was the last time he hit on her? Never. I like how he also like gets into her mind and tells her she should be scared. Because she starts to clam up and starts to get panic. And he's like, fucking good. Yeah. You can get really hurt. You can cease to exist. Yeah. In a second if you met somebody like me. Did Tamlin ever bring up that worry? No, never. Not once. That's because he can protect her from everything, right? Just like he protected her from Amarantha. He's like, don't worry about a thing. Just sit there while I handle all of the things. Yeah, you should be afraid. You should be afraid of this. And you should be thanking the God's damn cauldron that the past three months, nobody with my sorts of gifts has run into you. Now shove me out. Tamlin's never brought this up. Mm -mm. And he knows. Why hasn't she received training? Why hasn't she learned how to put her shields up previously if that's such a huge threat, you know? That just shows how, at this point, Tamlin thinks he can take care of everything. I think that Tamlin just continues to baby Feyre. He doesn't give her the opportunity. It's strange to see him move backwards, where he just didn't give a shit and felt like, take care of yourself at the beginning of Akatar, But then he gets the feels and suddenly she's incapable of doing anything. He's also impressed with how long she kept herself alive and her family alive. And so he's seen her protect and survive. And now he won't even give her the opportunity to just simply walk around without being watched after. It's funny because right now, Tamlin is so controlling of her. And Rhysand's doing the opposite. He's trying to help her grow. He's trying to help her learn new things and protect herself. Not have somebody, a guard with her at all times. Protect herself. If that doesn't show the difference between the two, I don't know what would. I think the only thing that Tamlin and Rhysand at this point have in common, uh, besides being high lords, both of them on some level have feelings for Feyre, obviously. I want to see it grow. <laughs> and then since my dear listeners we have been talking your ear off for quite a long time the very end what do you think about the ending of this chapter buddy when he mentions that the wall's gonna come down war's coming i think i felt tired i was like damn it again <laughs> yeah come on we just made it through amarantha like what the fuck can we can we not the answer is no <laughs> 
How about you? I saw it coming because they had mentioned the war is bigger than just Amarantha. Highburn still existed. So I knew that it was on like the cusp of being revealed. Didn't know how, when, or where. I think maybe the first time I read it, I wouldn't have been tired. I would have been like, again, that's that was my thought. Not necessarily like exhausted. With all the fantasy books I've read now, my thought is really, again, there's always a war happening. I think it's both insanely smart and terrifying. The way he brought it up was through her family, through her weakest link, saying, hey, do you see how close your family is to that wall? Hopefully they can run, but do you see how close it is? And do you see how if it fell, they'd be fucked? As much as I enjoy Rhysand, I think he's got to work on his manipulation tactics, especially with people he supposedly has positive, caring feelings for. I think he tends to be a little too manipulative about things like he I believe is used to using fear I think I understandably he spent the last 50 years under the mountain playing some terrifying games against terrifying people I think he's got to learn to not be in that mindset with everybody and everything especially those that he wants closely around him as allies or loved ones I think that eventually I, I hope I should say I hope that eventually he can learn to be open with Feyre in a way that doesn't play off of her fears it's more open than Tamlin is, but it's still, I don't all necessarily love the tactic. Well, at this point, we know he's High Lord of the Night Court, and the Night Court is known to be the worst place, scariest place in Perinthian. So as the High Lord, I feel like he's kind of fitting the vibe here. I think it's his default. I get why he does what he does and where he's coming from. I'm just saying I hope that eventually he can get to a place where that's not his go-to method of convincing people to hear him out. Do you think he'd want to that? Or do you think he he's kind of thriving on the whole, I'm scary, high lord, multi-powerful, can kill you in two seconds guy? Here's some scary information. I don't know. Because in Akatar Under the Mountain, when they were in the dungeon cell before her last trial, her last challenge, he seemed to kind of open up and just say how tired he was, how tired of the games and all of it. So I think in some ways, we've seen him express that that's not who he wants to be. But we're so early on that I think we need to give it more time and more chance of being with him to see what person he wants to be known as. He, under the Mountain is like, I'm tired of this shit, Grandpa, right? <laughs> that's too damn bad <laughs> Feyre is like finally thinks everything's good and the worst thing in the world is the tithe that's happening and that's what she's worried about in her wedding and he's like hey so I know that um your biggest issue was your wedding but um lots of people are gonna die <laughs> and even though I was tired under the mountain I'm no longer tired because there's war <laughs> you know it was just a, a whole ass change oh <sighs> It never ends. Can you have magic without war in a fantasy book? No. 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 My friend, do you have a favorite quote? I do. I like when Favor says after she reads. Big butts and a can of luck. I like when Favor reads the text that Rhysand wrote out. You look absolutely delicious today, Feyre. That's what you wrote? Ugh. Like, oh, I love her anger and I love his amusement. I love that he did that. It was my favorite. What about you? I added a category because this book has been so fucking funny that I had to add a funny category. Good, good. So the, that got added in my funny category. Let's see. Bestie's writing is getting better. Not that she was ever a bad author, but her writing's getting better. This line was so good. It says, Reese went still, as still as I'd ever seen him, as still as the death now beckoning in those eyes. Ooh. I'm just saying up until now, we've had a book full of just hard, sad shit. I found some light moments and they were my favorite. So that's what I went with. Multiple light moments. Light moments with more light moments with Reese. Did you think that that's what you would get when you enter the night court? I did not expect when reading that, that we are going to walk into such ease. There's another funny. It's at the very start of your chapter. It's when Reese is dealing with Tamlin <laughs> and says, was I interrupting? Oh, I thought it was over. At least Farrah seemed to think so. Oh. oh, like if there's any, you know, like the bam, bam, bam sound that needed to play right then. I remember thinking like, God damn it, Reese, like, <laughs> fuck, can you just chill the fuck out, man? And then he says, your high priestess seems to think it's over too. Bruh. <laughs> she dipped so fast. Yeah. What the hell? It was comedic. It was cartoonish. Like all of a sudden, you know, when there's a puff of smoke, but the character's gone. That was Ianthe. Where'd she go? 
TBD, I uh, Tamlin stiffened as he looked over his shoulder to find the altar empty. Oh, hmm. How awkward. I wish I could have been a fly on the wall for Tamlin's conversation with Ianthe afterwards. Like, where the fuck did you go? Afterwards, like, where the hell did you go? What the fuck, Ianthe? Yeah. Oh, that is so, that just made it so much better. <laughs> that, okay. Our star of the week this week is Daria from Bookish and Fandom Boutique. She's also known on Instagram as at wellreadbabes. Her stuff is so freaking cute. Libby, she's the one with the stained glass. Okay, I love all things stained glass. And mm -hmm. So Daria actually has a recording for us, so I will let her take it off. All right, no, I don't take off your clothes. I will let her talk to you all. Take off with the reading <laughs> of hers about me and not... <laughs> not... Her cute clothes that she sells. At least not on our Instagram because we don't want to get shut down. You do you in private, girl. You you do what you got to do. Hey, babes. My name is Daria. I'm the creator behind Well Read Babes Bookish Boutique, and I'm so excited and honored to be on this podcast. I was born and raised in Ukraine, and now I live in Colorado, U.S. with my family and our cat. I've always loved stories. I think it started with my grandma reading all the fairy tales to me every night when I was little, and we had the best time. It was magic. And I remember the day I started reading Harry Potter. <laughs> it's definitely one of the core memories. Oh, life-changing. Uh, on the other hand, I've also always loved doodling, sketching things, and painting. And so a few years ago, I had an idea to try and combine these two passions, and Well Read Babes Shop has been born. I um, also enjoy long hikes in the mountains. I love going out dancing, and uh, I really love traveling and seeing the world. My favorite book genres are historical fiction, uh, fairy tale retellings, and fantasy favorite thing in my shop this is a tough one i think this entire year i've been so inspired by the stained glass art and uh, i've made a few designs that replicate the look um, so i think those are all my favorite <laughs> well that's all for now thank you so much for tuning in and listening i'm on bookstagram and book talk a lot so come say hi there and you can check out my shop at wellreadbabes.com I hope all of you have the best holiday season this year. Bye now. Calling all dreamers. We want to hear from you. Send an email to a court of thorns and podcasts at gmail.com. Tell us everything, how you found the series, what your favorite or most disliked moments were, your favorite and most hated characters, questions you have for us, please, for real. If you guys have like a question of the day, like for not really a question, a question of the week, whatever, you know, our questions, 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 and moving on because I can't talk. Send us your drama. We love it. We're bored. We need more things to chat about. We'll gossip with you. Give we us. We pretend the tea. to know stuff. We we we'll try. We can smile and nod. We're supportive. If you like us at all, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or rating on Spotify to help us find <laughs> find how to fucking talk, Libby. If you like us at all, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or a rating on Spotify to help us find more of our Libby, I don't friends. know how a rating on Spotify is going to help you find how to fucking talk, but I'm here for it. I'm, uh, I just need, I need to find words that make fucking sense because they don't, <laughs> yep, see, bye. That's what happens when we record for four hours. Oh, God. <clears throat> to the people who listen and the dreams that are answered. We will see you next week. And remember, don't let the hard days win and don't let not being able to talk stop you from podcasting. Fuck that, man. I can't talk to that at all. <laughs> Think of him from the dark. Listening from the fight. Makes me taking all my feelings. You in my head, you in my heart. I'm never in the dark. Oh no, Abby, I've lost you. The connection, it's fading. The light oh no, is Libby's getting gone. darker. It's Where are you, Libby? Oh, wait, we're spinning. We're spinning. Mm -hmm. We might be getting her back. Mm -hmm. Doubtful. Usually Why they disconnect. Why have you gone away? I'm hanging up on you. Waiting. I'm sure she's talking about the same issue. Oh, and there it goes. Lost her. Damn it.